Philippians chapter 3, we are, we're picking up, let's see, this is where we should have been a year ago. We should have had the Lord's Supper last week, a year ago, uh, a special service for that, and then we would just pick up right where we left off two weeks before in Philippians with Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. So if we could erase the entire past year, actually I wouldn't want to do that. We're in too good a place right now. God has done too much in us and through us. I don't want to erase the last year. Let's just say we've had a parenthesis of 53 weeks, and at least in the sermons, and now we are picking back up with Philippians. As I've said, you're, it, this is kind of going along with your D group reading, and our Connect group lessons uh, will catch up to each other in, uh, I think, six weeks, and then we'll be together uh, in, with the messages and our Connect Group lessons. Quick refresher on Philippians chapter, uh, well, just the whole book. The, the broad theme that we introduced early in the spring last year, uh, we talked about the, that fellowship isn't a party, it's not ice cream, though ice cream is good, and I think we should have ice cream at pretty much everything we do. That's not biblical fellowship. Fellowship is a partnership with a purpose. And if you remember way back, uh, I talked about Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring. It wasn't a party. It was a grueling, years-long trek to, to throw one little ring into a lava pit. And, and, all, and people died trying, and people went crazy trying, and all these, you know, that's not a party, but that was a fellowship. It was a partnership with a purpose. And that's the theme of Philippians. There is sweet fellowship and relationships that Paul talks about throughout Philippians, uh, but there's, it, that's not the point. The, the Philippians will show us that we have one job to make disciples. Not, not to eat ice cream, not to throw a ring in a lava pit, but to make disciples. And, and the, another theme of Philippians that we've already covered is that unity, selflessness, and perseverance, my grammar was bad there, are how we'll do it. We will only do that as a church. We will only make disciples fulfill the mission and the calling if we are unified, selfless, and we persevere. And in order to uh, get to that point, unity, selflessness, and perseverance, we have to realize that everyone else is more important than us. Everyone else. Everybody is more important than me, and everybody is more important than you, and and we live our lives that way. You, you don't live your life knowing, wait, the Bible says I'm more important than you. No, no, that's not, that's not what I said. Everybody is more important than, than you are, and everybody is more important than, than I am, but I'm not more important than anybody else. See how that works? Good. Because that's the way it works. And we get to chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, and Paul asks, he doesn't ask the question, he gives a command, I will ask a question this morning, who's your example? Who is your example? Who are you following? Who do you look to to understand 
how you're to live your life. Who is, who is your leader? If, if the aliens show up and they say, take me to your leader, who are you taking them to? Hypothetically. Who is your example? Paul wants us to know who our example is. He wants us to set our example so that we can follow that example and he gives us a descriptor, some commands and then some description in verses 17 through 21, chapter 3 of Philippians. Paul says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, they are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. Who's your example? Paul says he should be, and the people who are following him. And he says that the, the, the first two imperatives in the passage, join and pay, join and pay in verse 317. Now, this is not a gym membership. You join and you pay, and then you don't go. I don't know if y'all notice, I'm sure you can, from where you're sitting, I've been working out for a couple of weeks. I know y'all are all thinking it already. I'm just confirming what you already thought. It's clear that I have been. We joined and we paid, and, and now we're actually going, if she can make me. Uh, she's that is the, the, the driving force behind getting me out of bed to do that. I'd rather not. But this is not a, a gym membership where you, you join and you pay and, and you, okay, I'm good. It's not a church membership where you get your name on the roll and, and I'm good. The, the, the two imperatives of joining and paying are, well, I, I left out some words. It's pay careful attention. But first, we join. Paul says, join in imitating me. Join in imitating Paul. Now, Paul will be the first to tell you, and if you read back to verses 12 through 14, he, he, he admits he's not perfect. He says, I'm striving for the prize. I'm trying to get there. I, I, do it, I, I reach to take hold of it every day, but I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But forgetting what behind I reach forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. He's, he's daily putting aside uh, Hebrews, the, the author, probably not Paul, says uh, we, we kick off those things that entangle us. Paul says in Romans, I, I do what I want, don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do, but he moves forward from those things. He is daily trying to get better, to be better. He says elsewhere, I, I, I pummel myself. I'm, I'm like a, a boxer that I exercise constantly to be better, to, to buffet my body, to control myself, to control my impulses. Paul is not perfect at all. So we are not to imitate his sinfulness because he's a sinner just like anybody else. We are to imitate his effort. Like Paul, 
We don't consider ourselves to have taken hold of it, but we forget what is behind and we reach forward to what is ahead. We pursue as our goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. We imitate Paul and he, he says... Others are doing it too. He, he really says it twice. First, when, in the first imperative, when he says, join, join in imitating me. Well, if we're joining, he doesn't imitate him. We're joining other people. We're coming alongside other folks, and we are following Paul as he follows Jesus. That's what he says later uh, in, a, in another letter as well. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And only as he imitates Christ. Paul didn't preach himself. Paul preached a gospel. Paul preached God's word. I don't preach myself. I preach God's word. I preach the gospel. And I say to you, imitate me only as I imitate Christ. Don't imitate me otherwise. Don't imitate Paul otherwise. That's the first imperative. Join in imitating Paul. Secondly, pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Look around you. Who else is imitating Paul? Who else it has, does not believe they have taken hold of it, but ha instead they forget what is behind and they reach forward to what is ahead? Who else around you is pursuing as their goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus? As you see People pursue that. Imitate them. Join others. Those that follow Paul and imitate him, come alongside. This is doing Christianity, doing the Christian life in community. You see that, right? That is fellowship. Coming together and each of us, iron sharpening iron, the Bible says. As we grow in faith together, we imitate each other as we each imitate Christ. There's a contrast here when he says, pay careful attention to those who follow him because earlier in the letter, he told them to pay careful attention to the ones who would lead you astray, the, the Judaizers. That's what he, he's saying. Pay attention to that so that you don't drift away. But as a matter of fact, you need to pay more attention to those who aren't drifting but are following Christ. As a matter of fact, he is saying, and he's going to give us some idea here of what it is to not follow Christ, but his purpose is for us to not lose focus on what we are supposed to do. If we are so focused on everything else that is wrong and everyone else that is wrong and all the things that are bad around us, all the things that are sinful, all the ways that the world acts like the world, we will miss the focus that we're supposed to have, which is on each other as we imitate Christ. It's, it's the, uh, I don't know if this is true or not. I've seen it, I've heard preachers say it in the past. I've, I've, I've seen it float around social media for years, once we got that, it was a forwarded email for a long time before we got social media. Y'all remember those, right? The emails that were 75 pages long and you had to scroll down through all the 10 million forwards to see the three lines that you'd seen 10 million times. Yeah, I remember those. I'm old enough. 
But it's the whole uh, counterfeit, the, 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 the counterfeit division of the FBI. They don't learn how, what counterfeit bills look like. They learn what the real thing looks like. That way they recognize counterfeits because it's obviously not the real thing. Maybe that's how they do it. I don't remember them talking about that in the movie Catch Me If You Can with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, 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 Woody. Tom Hanks, thank you. Uh, just so you know, the echo is bad for me too, so if y'all talk, I don't know what you're saying. Um, I do recognize amen when I hear it though. So if we lose focus... On, on what we are supposed to be, and, and we start focusing all the other on all the other stuff, we are going to miss what we are supposed to be. Uh, we see this a lot on social media. We are great and quick to point out everything else that's wrong. Why this politician's wrong and that politician is wrong and this policy and this and all these other things and we will share the mess out of those things to get the 97% of people we're friends with on Facebook that agree with us anyway to click like and to click uh-huh and type amen and all this other stuff when maybe there's some other stuff we should be sharing. When maybe our focus should not be so much on what they are doing, but on what we are supposed to be. Paul says, pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Pay attention to them and follow them and be like them. But just so we understand what it looks like, Paul then presents the opposite the opposite of living according to Paul's example as he imitates Christ. He gives us verses 18 and 19 that just kind of break it down for us. He says, For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Now while he describes the opposite here, he doesn't describe it to make anyone an expert on sinners. To give us a checklist. Oh, well, that person, oh, that person, that person, oh, that person. But to create self-awareness for us to avoid a pattern in our lives. You know what this looks like, he says. You've heard me talk about it before. It's these general principles, these general ideas of what it means to not follow Christ. You know what that is. Look for it in your life. He doesn't say, pay attention to them, learn about them. Pay attention to me. Join me, in, uh, join others in imitating me as I imitate Christ. You know what it looks like not to. But he put it, so we, just, we talk about it. We need to understand what it looks like for us to ask the question of ourselves, am I in the opposite camp here that Paul is talking about? He says, he give us, gives us uh, five descriptors of what the opposite camp looks like. First, he says, they are enemies of Jesus. We don't know here if he is talking about people in the church in Philippi 
though that's very likely because, or at least very possible, because he says, I have told you in the past about this, and I say again with tears. When Paul talks about weeping over people, it's almost always people he knows, people he is close to. He, he weeps for the lostness of the world, but he doesn't uh, uh, write about that emotion as strongly as he does those he cares about most, those who are closest to him. So it's very possible he's talking about people in the church in Philippi, or at the very least, people in the town of Philippi. Maybe he's talking about itinerant preachers. We'd call them TV preachers now because they don't move around. They just come straight into our homes uh, via TV and computer. But people who will preach a gospel and say things that aren't accurate, aren't true, aren't biblical. And he says these people are enemies of Jesus. Now, hold on, let me back up for just a second. Not all TV preachers, and they're not all enemies of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, I, I'm on TV here in Lake Charles, so I'd be condemning myself. And I'm not bragging. That was something that was here when I got here, okay? Um, hey, TV people. Um, but that is how we become, that is how we share and spread false gospels easily. Say good things, say it to enough people, and it doesn't matter if it's right. They're enemies of Jesus regardless of whether they claim the name of Christ. Because they do. There are false teachers, there are charlatans out there that just want you to plant a seed of faith of $1,500 in their ministry. By the way, their ministry is them. And you will get a blessing from the Lord. But if you don't, they sure did. $1,500 worth of blessing. Not from the Lord, but they sure did sell His name. They claim the name of Christ, but their goal is not to make disciples. They claim the cross, but the cross is not their purpose. The cross is where we go to die to ourselves. The cross is something we carry. The cross is a burden. The gospel is a burden. The, the gospel, the cross, is not a money-making scheme. They are enemies of Christ. And sometimes it's not to make money. Sometimes it's just to make a following, to turn people to the ways of the teacher. And that's what the Judaizers were. They would slip into the church and say, I know Paul said this, but what you really need to do is this. They are enemies of Christ, Paul says, regardless of whether they take the name. So he says... Uh, I've often told you, I say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their end is destruction. They are not saved. And this is the hard pill to swallow for us. Because we like to think that anybody who takes the name of Christ and uses it, even if they use it incorrectly, well, but they're probably still believers. Maybe, but no, there's certainly no need for them to be. There are people who take the name of Jesus just to create a following or to make money. I mean, we have it in the Bible. Uh, I, I was 
in another context, I was talking about um, the Simon the Magician. When he saw Paul in, I believe, Ephesus casting out demons, he said, man, i got to get me some of that. I can make some money off of this too. I could cast out demons just like him. Hey, what was that name he used? Let me, let me, let me use that name. And, and he, he, he does. And, and if you remember, and I'm, I hope I'm not mixing my Bible stories because I didn't look this up. The, the demon looks up at him and, and, and says, uh, Jesus, I know Paul I've heard of, but who are you? That's the demon talking to this fellow. And, and I, I believe that is what, well, depart from me for I never knew you. That's what some of these people, these enemies of Christ, these who are not saved will hear someday. Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I give money to the poor? Didn't I do all these things in your name? And, and God will say to them on the day of judgment, depart from me, I, I never knew you. You were never mine to begin with. You used my name for your own purposes. And this is, Paul is showing us, obvious from their lives. Their salvation is obvious from the way they live. No, you don't earn your salvation. No, you can't lose your salvation. But it is obvious to those around them from their lives that they have not accepted Christ. They are enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. And destruction here, and often when Paul uses it, clearly means judgment and hell. Thirdly, they care only about their own satisfaction. He says their God is their stomach. All they care about is what makes them feel good. And maybe it's money, maybe it's power, maybe it's both, whatever the case they like to be in control. It makes them feel good. For some in the church, gossip makes them feel good. Causing dissension makes them feel good. Lying makes them feel good. Their purposes are for their own pleasure. In this case, in Paul's case, as he's writing to the Philippians, it's a false gospel and dissension and disunity in the church. That is their purpose. For faithful believers, it, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around. And, and we want to find some way to justify it. And I get it. To soften the blow. We think there's just no way the, this person, these people, are doing this solely to cause a problem. We'll even say about them, well, they, they have the right goal, but the wrong means. The right end, but the wrong means. Or they think they're doing good things. Y'all, sometimes maybe. But according to Paul, no. Their purpose is exactly what they're doing. That is their goal. That's the, how they are satisfied. By causing dissension and disunity in the church. And then he says of them, as they care only about their own satisf uh, satisfaction, that their God is their stomach, he says they glory in their sin. Their glory is in their shame, he says. The, the very thing that they should reject and, and, and be least proud of, they are most proud of. 
The things that we would say, that's awful, you shouldn't do that. I am glad I did it. I exist to do this thing. I am here to cause a problem or to be a thorn. They are proud of their sinful work. And they would say it isn't sinful. They'll use a phrase like, and, and this is not one I've heard in our church, so don't start thinking who, who I might be talking about. Well, my spiritual gift is to be sandpaper, to rub the corners off the, uh, the preacher, the sharp corners off the preacher. I'm here to, uh, I, that is a phrase that's used. I'm here to grind him down, basically. That's not a spiritual gift that you'll find in Scripture. They glory in their sinful work. The, the, the truth is, though, the, the other meaning of this passage, the, the double meaning is they, that they're, only, uh, they're, they're proud of their sinful work, but the, the second meaning is that the only glory, the only recognition that they will get for their sinful work is judgment at the end. That's your glory. If your purpose is dissension and disunity, if your purpose is a false gospel, if you are an enemy of Christ... Uh, enemy of the cross of Christ, and, and your end is destruction, the only recognition, the only time you will hear your name called is, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's your glory. That's your reward. And then Paul wraps up this view, this, this descriptor of the opposite by showing us that they are about the wrong business. They are focused on earthly things, Paul says. Everything they do is based on the world's standards and judgment. What does the world think? What does the world say? What, and, and they won't think of it this way. They will rarely put it into such clear uh, verbiage in that way, they, but but that's the end result. They'll say, well, common sense says, or this is what needs to be done, or we run the church like a business, or, or whatever the phrases they use, or however they say it, their idea is, but the world says do it this way. Their, their goal, their, their purpose, their, their influence is the world. Y'all, we have seen this too many times, especially in the last five and then last two or one and a half years, that the, the world's, the country's politics have influenced the church way too much. If you don't believe me, ask about, ask some folks who have left churches, not just ours, but others, if they've left because of doctrinal reasons the teaching of Scripture, or if they've left because the preacher doesn't believe politically the way the other folks do. We've meshed and melded those things way too much because we tend, as faithful believers and churchgoers, we tend to be about the wrong business and we use the wrong standard and the wrong uh, judgments when talking about it. These Folks, Christianity, the, these, these ones focused on earthly things, 
It looks more like when you examine it, when you begin to break it down and you see what is said and how it's said and what their uh, soapboxes are, theirs is a Christianity that looks more like worldliness or politics or self-help or patriotism or any any number of replacements than what the Bible calls for. Again, Philippians, if we go back to some of the refresher that I said at the beginning, we have a partnership with a purpose. We have one job to make disciples. Unity, selflessness, and perseverance is how we will do those things. And everyone is more important than us. If you look at the world and the world's standards, you do not see the world, you do not see everyone is more important than us. Everyone is more important than us than me the world says you are the most important look out for number one look out for you me first and we we will 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 find our causes to support that sometimes put others first but but we will pull back very quickly if that begins to infringe on our rights or our freedoms or our preferences these folks are about the wrong business they're not about the one job of making disciples but as I said Paul is not trying to make us an expert on the opposite Paul describes these things with tears because he needs his church people he needs his followers to understand what they have to fight against in themselves. Because, y'all, this is all of us. We are all the opposite if we are not careful. That's why one of the things we need is perseverance. To stand in the midst of hurricanes and pandemics and, and persecution, even real persecution like what the Afghan Christians are experiencing, not the fact that Lowe's says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. We're talking about real things that we have to stand in the midst of and take and persevere in because we will want to drift. Our response as humans, our response as uh, Americans will be to stand up and say, no, that I have a right. Well, the reward, which is the next section, begins with the fact that our rights are found somewhere else. Paul, in verses 20 through 21, does not show us the opposite of the opposite. Right? He doesn't say, now, you as believers, as you imitate me, you are uh, allies of Jesus, you are saved, you care don't care about your stomachs right he doesn't he doesn't uh, uh, compare or contrast the two he talks about something completely different in the opposite section in the verses 18 and 19 he is talking about what they do in verses 20 and 21 he talks about he talks about who we are get the difference Understand the difference. We as believers have to get the who we are right first. And then the what we do will flow from that. 
If we try to get the do before the are, we will fail. We will never get the do right until we are who we are supposed to be, who we know who we are supposed to be. And the first thing Paul says in verse 20, who we are, he says our citizenship is in heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. We belong to another kingdom. Believers in the U.S. belong to another kingdom. And believers in China belong to another kingdom. And believers in Afghanistan belong to another kingdom. And believers in Colombia belong to another kingdom. And pick a country, pick a a group of believers, pick a church, and those people all belong to the same kingdom. I've said this before, and it's not original to me. Other pastors have said it before. I have more in common with a believer in Afghanistan than I have with an unbeliever in America. Because he is my family. This is a temporary country. But a believer in Afghanistan is my brother or sister with whom I will spend eternity. I have more in common with an American who is also a Christian than I have with an American who is not. Because our kingdom, our citizenship first, is a heavenly citizenship. Because this world is not our home. Our citizenship affects what we do and what we say. Uh, A friend of mine on Facebook made this comment a couple of days ago. He said, and and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, he said, we may have the constitutional right to say and do things, But more often than not, we have the kingdom responsibility not to. Our constitutional rights never trump our kingdom responsibilities. It doesn't matter if it is my right. It matters only if it is my responsibility as a kingdom believer. We have a heavenly citizenship. That is who we are first and foremost. And Paul says we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, from heaven. We as believers, our reward is we have a coming Savior. Jesus, name above all names, high and lifted up. We sang about Him this morning. Jesus is the King of our kingdom. We don't have a president. We have a king. We don't have a governor, we have a king. We don't have a mayor, we have a king. And we are subjects of that king first and foremost. Before anything else, before any other allegiance. And that king is coming to get us out of this foreign, alien land that we live in. We are immigrants. We don't belong here. Our home is in heaven. And I'm not preaching some pacifistic, hands-off, just-let-it-go-however-it's-going-to-go type of, of relationship to our earthly citizenship, we have a responsibility to do what is right. We have a responsibility to help those in need. We have all those responsibilities, but we have kingdom responsibilities. So our political responses should be formed by our kingdom responsibility First, we shouldn't take our 
political stances and try to squeeze our kingdom responsibility into that. It is the other way around. If our political response does not fit our kingdom responsibility, then we put aside the politics and we focus on Jesus because our king is coming. We don't belong here. This is not our home. And that really should bring us joy. There won't be hurricanes in heaven. There won't be pandemics in heaven. We won't have to rebuild any facilities. God's working on that right now. He's doing the building. And, 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 and you know, he, he, he did the world in a day, or seven days, six days. And he's taking how long to build heaven? And that's, that's a fun preacher thing. He, it's a metaphor. Okay, he snapped his fingers, it's created. It's not a, he's not really, he's going, whew. You know, that's not what God's doing right now. Hammer and nails and all that sort of stuff. So, but he has prepared a home for us. And we should be excited that this isn't it. Y'all, I've traveled a lot of places. I've seen a lot of beautiful things and I hope to see a lot more before I kick off. But there's nothing on earth as beautiful as it, as it is. We look through Hubble and we see billions of stars and galaxies and, and all that. And it all pales to what heaven is going to be. Because this is not our home. The, the story's told. Again, doubt it's true, but it makes a nice little story of a, 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 a young grandkid that goes and asks his grandpa what heaven's like, and grandpa's house was up on piers so you could get underneath the house, and he tells his grandson, go, go lay under the house. Lay down on your back, look up. Look up at the, and, and tell me, come back and tell me what you see. And, and so the grandson did, and goes and lays down there and comes back, and grandpa said, what did you see? Well, he said, I saw the bottom of the floor, I could see uh, some of the cracks in the boards and some light coming through. I saw spiders and spider webs and, and, and dirt, and it smelled musty. And, uh, but it was cool, you know, because underneath the house is always cool and all this stuff. And he said, all right, now come outside with me. He said, now look up. Look up at the sky. What do you see? Oh, I see all the stars and, and the constellations and all this other stuff, and it's beautiful. And he said, well... What was in the house when you knew when you were laying down there? Well, I knew grandma and grandpa were in there and it was y'all were cooking supper and a warm bed and all this other stuff, all the comforts that I knew about. He said, Okay, you look up, you see the, the floor, you see the stars, you, that's the floor of heaven. Again, this is a metaphor, okay? That's the floor of heaven. We know what's going on up, uh, upstairs, inside it. And if that if you saw the yucky floor of the house and knew all the wonderful things that were inside, knew what, you, what was in store for you later on. Well, when we look at the stars, when we look at the sky, and we see all that God has done, that's just the floor of what we will get someday. Being with Him. A face-to-face a, a -face relationship with Jesus. We have a coming Savior that is going to get us and take us home. So we'll no longer have to look at the, the, the bottom of the floor of our home, but we will be home. And finally, oh, not finally, uh, Paul says that we will not just have 
uh, our, our king will not just come get us, our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, it says, He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body. For all the good that working out has done me, clearly, to everybody, all, for all the good those two weeks have done, I'm going to get even a better body later. Now, I don't know if it's going to be all muscular, uh, if, if I lose the fat, but I know it will be healed. I know that the, uh, the SI joint that I have that, that doesn't have much cartilage, that, that at various times I've got to get uh, the, the, I'm going to do a commercial for Vol- Voltaren gel and, and have to put on that three or four nights and the pain will go away finally. And, and, and the gallbladder I'm supposed to probably have already had out but still don't and, 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 and still keep it and still overeat and, and still know it. Um, all those things, that's all going to be fixed. That's all going to be transformed. So not only is my home going to change, my body is going to be changed. We won't be broken There won't be pandemics. There won't be COVID deaths. There won't be chemotherapy. There there won't be ventilators. As a matter of fact, our bodies will be perfect, but they're going to be better than perfect. And I don't know what better than perfect is, but Paul says that we will be transformed into the likeness of His glorious body. So whatever it is that Jesus has that can pass through walls and then eat with the disciples can be touched so that you feel the holes in his, in his wrists and in his side. We won't have those things. We will have this perfect, cool body that passes through walls, hopefully. I hope. That, that'd just be great. We will be like Jesus. Y'all, isn't that our goal now? be like Jesus? No longer will our bodies, our flesh, desire the things that we're not supposed to desire. We will be like Jesus. This humble condition will be transformed. And that will be done, Paul says, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. The power of Jesus himself. We will have ultimate victory. The one who subjects it all. The one for whom earth is his footstool. uh, That Hebrews talks about him uh, putting everything under his feet. Referencing back to the Psalms. It's all under his. Everything is under Jesus' feet now. He has power over it all. It is that power that will transform us. It is that power that subjects everything to Himself. Jesus is the only one with that power. I mean, God has it, right? But triune, so they're the same, but, uh, but, but uh, separate. Yeah, they, they are the ones with that power. And that power that they have will dismantle all the other powers in our lives, including the power of sin and death. We will have ultimate, ultimate victory. He will come back and get us. He will take us to the home that is our true home. Out of this temporary foreign land we live in, we will have a new body and ultimate victory. Notice that Paul, again, did not tell us what to do, but just told us who we are in Christ. It's who we are. And if we will get who we are in Christ, 
we will do what we are supposed to do in Christ. So to wrap it up, we join others in imitating Paul, he says. Join the, uh, those who imitate me as I imitate Christ, he says in other places. We, we pay careful attention to those that imitate him. We disciple one another. We come together. And there is a clear opposite, Paul wants us to realize, to imitating Paul. There's a clear opposite to that, and that is not who we are. That is not our focus. That's not really our concern. But know that if you begin to drift, that you need to come back. And then there is a clear reward for imitating Him. Not in our salvation. We are not saved because we imitate Him. But Paul trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. So our first imitation of Him should be also to trust Jesus as our Savior. Paul would tell us, the believers here this morning would tell you, imitate us by making Jesus your Lord and Savior. This morning, you need to get the who you are right. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you God's child? I'm not asking if you're God's creation because you are. He made you. He loves you. He has a purpose for your life. He loves you so much He sent Jesus to die for you. But that does not make you His child. You are adopted into the family of God and you are only adopted into that family once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. We must admit that we are sinners. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. We need to admit that. But we believe Jesus. We trust Him. We believe He is who He says He is. That the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God proved He loves us by sending Jesus to die for us before we were ever born, much less before we ever sinned. And yet, while we were sinners, God loved us. Christ died for us. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who He says He is and choose to follow Him. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Your past does not matter. Your relationships don't matter. Your citizenship does not matter. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and choose to follow Him today. Become a citizen of heaven and know that Jesus is your ultimate example. Let's pray. Father, thank you for working on our hearts. Thank you for our citizenship, our reward. And Lord, where we fail to focus on ourselves and instead focus on others, correct us. God, where we have been tainted by the world, we have been coerced, into thinking that the world's ways are the best ways, correct us. Lord, where we have put our constitutional rights above our kingdom responsibilities, correct us. Lord, where we have replaced our judgmentalism and hatred, or rather, where we have replaced our love 
and concern with judgmentalism and hatred correct us. God, I pray that we will live out our kingdom citizenship first. Just as Paul, when his earthly citizenship was necessary, he brought it up. But most of the time, he suffered for the gospel, for the cross, laying aside every other human glory, even every other human relationship. Christ came first. Lord, I pray that we would set him as our example, other believers as they follow him, as he follows you, as our example, and we would disciple each other as we grow in faith and in relationship with you, Lord. I pray this morning for the lost soul who needs to become a citizen of heaven, needs to admit that they're a sinner, believe in Jesus as their Savior, and choose to follow him today. Work on their hearts to make a decision for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this time of of, uh, decision, I pray that you would let God work on your heart. Tom will be at the back at our welcome table if, if you would like to have him explain to you a little bit more about how you can become a believer, a citizen of heaven. He'd love to share that with you. We have a couple other folks in the back uh, that will be able to talk to you about that and explain that to you. This is your time to do business with God, to hear him talk to you and lead you as we worship him. Who's your example this morning? Who are you following? Let's follow Jesus every day as citizens of his kingdom. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's do business with him today.